It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome to the National Security Hour on the America Outlaw Talk Radio Network on iHeartRadio, where you will hear the voice of freedom, the outlaw truth, from military and intel experts worldwide. I am your host, Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Singuri, U.S. Army retired and the CEO of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement and also the host of New Paradigms with Sargis Singuri, which you can hear on Mondays on my own uh, channel on the Rumble on the uh, Near East Center. And also at the same time, you can go ahead and uh, receive the broadcast on Right America Media every Wednesday evening. My returning guest tonight, of course, is a dear friend, uh, James Ogruski. Uh, James uh, has been with us before, and he now comes to us again a month after the 154th session of the Executive Board of the World Health Organization meetings, which uh, did take place just last month uh, from uh, January 22nd through January 27th of 2024, and then also the uh, World uh, Governmental Summit, which uh has taken place uh, from uh, 12 to 14 February in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. In the past, uh, of course, I had uh, introduced James to our audiences here as an author and a researcher. But um, today, now for the first time returning to our show, I can also introduce him as a, a member of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement, and he is filling the position of Director for International Health. Uh, James does believe that the old systems are rightfully crumbling, uh, so we must uh, build their replacements quickly. It was in March of 2022 when James uncovered documents uh, regarding the proposed amendments to the international health regulations and was uh, very instrumental in raising awareness about those uh, uh, documents, which resulted in the amendments being rejected. Uh, James is right now, of course, doing everything he can possible to expose the World Health Organization's hidden agenda behind the proposed pandemic treaty, as well as the WHO's and the UN's ongoing attempts to amend the international health regulations. Uh, I think uh, for our audience out there, James' vision for the future is summarizing one phrase out of the WHO and in with the new. James, welcome back to the show again. Well, thank you very much for having me. You know, there's always something uh, new going on at the WHO, and um, hopefully uh, we'll be able to shed some light for everybody who's listening. James, I know that you were able to uh, gather some of the information that are coming out of some of the secret meetings that are taking place, uh, which the public doesn't have any preview on. Where are we now with the pandemic treaty and what is uh, being discussed in those uh, uh, secret meetings and what documents are being released from there? Uh, that uh, is important for our audiences to know? Yes, this week and next week, they're having primarily secret meetings. Um, and then they're going to skip two weeks and come back for an another two weeks at the end of March. And there are rumblings that they're likely to schedule more meetings because they're having great difficulty reaching agreement. Uh, what they typically do is when they have these meetings, whether it's a week-long series of meetings or these are now two weeks. 
they will publicly um, live stream and record the morning session on Monday and then the afternoon session at the end of their two week long meetings on Friday. But everything in between is done behind closed doors. And, you know, we're left to wonder what it is that they're discussing. Well, since the last meeting uh, in December, the Bureau was told by the member nations that nations were not happy with the text that the Bureau had put together. And this is the intergovernmental negotiating body. That's six people, one representative from a nation in each of the six WHO regions. And the nations have been for quite some time very unhappy that the proposals that they are presenting officially are not finding their way into the negotiating text of the documents. They still have not even agreed to have a document that they all agree is the text that they are then going to begin negotiating. The latest version, uh, official version that's made public in October was just the proposal for a text, for a negotiating text for what they now call the pandemic agreement. And so they've been at the drawing board for the last number of weeks and they've started their meetings now and they're you know having these secret negotiations and they have not published the documents that they're currently discussing but they did leak out um, a group in Geneva called Health Policy Watch um, published the documents that they obtained so you know I have been spreading the word that the vast majority of the agreement is available to the public there are still a couple of articles, articles 14 and 15, that apparently the United States has taken on the role of you know, rewriting and, and, and such. And my um, request of everyone who's listening to this is go and read the documents because what has been happening for the last couple of years is that um, old-fashioned game of telephone. You know, maybe you learned it in grade school. You tell somebody a story, and then they repeat it, and they repeat it, and by the time it goes around the room, it's a completely different story. And so, um, you know, you're you're listening to what Sargus and I are, are saying, you know, here on this um, broadcast, but that, quite frankly, is the definition of hearsay. I encourage everybody to go to the source and read the documents. And in my opinion, what you're going to find is that this is really not what most people have been pre presenting it as or believe it to be, because a lot of it is getting mixed up with the other set of negotiations, just to make it more complicated. There's a totally separate track of negotiations to amend the existing international health regulations. And it's quite easy to do. Many people have confused the different documents. Now, in the treaty, in the last version, there were only 30 pages. In the proposed amendments, there's 197 pages. So, you know, I encourage everybody to read as much as you can, but by all means, start with the newest version of the pandemic treaty. You can find that on 
um, stopthetreaty.org, not .com, stopthetreaty.org. And I think that when you read it, you will come to an understanding that this is really a trade dispute. This is really a business deal to help build out an infrastructure that is suspiciously close to proliferating um, biological weapons. They want to set up um, a surveillance network to go looking for, and this is their term, pathogens with pandemic potential. They want to set up a WHO coordinated laboratory network to do research on those pathogens. They want to set up a scientific advisory committee to oversee gain of function research. They want to um, you know, set up a large bureaucracy that would meet every year um, to oversee the contracts that you know could entail tens of billions of dollars. They want to set up uh, what they call, and this is really the biggest piece of it, and if we can, Sargas, I hope we can spend as much time talking about this as possible, their pathogen access and benefit sharing system. Um, if they find pathogens of pandemic potential, they want to share that information with these laboratories all around the world, and then also share in the profits that might be made from the products that would be created in response to those pathogens. They want to speed up the regulatory approval of drugs. And, you know, it's arguable if they're ever going to get around to holding um, pharmaceutical companies liable for the harms that these products cause. There's nothing in here that even remotely resembles looking back over the last four years and trying to figure out, you know, what was done right, what was done wrong. Quite frankly, you know, what worked, what didn't. And, you know, what kind of crimes and, and corruption happened over the last four years? They're not doing any of that. They're trying to get the wealthy nations of the global north to pump a bunch of money into the global south to build out the infrastructure for what I call the pharmaceutical hospital emergency industrial complex. And I honestly and truly believe that anybody who takes the time to actually read these documents and understand what they're proposing, um, you just need two letters. You know, you need one N and one O. You know, the answer is no. Hmm. Well said. Um, you know, it's, it's just a reality of uh, how bureaucracies sometimes work and then how bureaucracies at that higher level work. I do want to concentrate, of course, as you said, uh, the pathogen access uh, uh, portion of it and the and the second uh, uh, portion of our discussion, but I do want to kind of look at the two avenues that are being taken. Um, which one you think is going to do more damage? Um, do you think it's the uh, amendment of the current, um, or is it just what they're agreeing upon when it comes to settling their papers on an economic deal? that now has expanded from 30 pages to 100 plus pages and probably going to grow uh, <laughs> at the end of the day. So which one do you think and the five minutes we have would be the most dangerous in this first segment? Well, so as to not confuse people, um, let me continue to talk about the proposed treaty in this segment. And then 
maybe in the next segment we can separate it and and talk about the dangers of the amendments. Um, I'm an optimist, and so I think that they're going to have a much greater difficulty uh, with the new agreement, uh, the treaty or framework convention, which it is, is really more properly thought of. Uh, they need a two-thirds vote to adopt the new agreement. And by rights, you know, if our own government follows the Constitution, um, they would need two-thirds consent from the Senate. The fact that the treaty needs a two-thirds in the WHA, the World Health Assembly in May, and also a two-thirds in the Senate um, is a higher bar. And um, because also it's better known, you know, we have had version after version after version um, made public of the proposed new agreement, whereas we really don't have the foggiest idea of the status of the other negotiations. And so the fact that they are keeping those locked up tight, I mean, as super secret as you could imagine, um, that's enough, you know, cause for concern for me. If they're showing you something and it's changing all the time and it's harder for them to achieve while they're, um, they only need a, a simple majority uh, it's believed to make amendments to the international health regulations. And there's a story behind that. That's why I'm kind of chuckling under my breath. Um, they may or may not even need to vote on it the way they operate. But the secrecy of the proposed amendments to the international health regulations, I think, is worthy of great, great concern. Yeah, unfortunately, it is. And uh, um, it's uh, amazing how our lawmakers are so overwhelmed with um, other issues and topics that they think are of interest, but uh, this would do a grave damage for us. Uh, but uh, we'll discuss it in the other two segments, uh, see maybe uh, what we could do to uh, counter uh, what is being done in these secret meetings by the WHO. I want our uh, audiences and listeners to know that America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on iHeartRadio Network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world, we have the best-in-class apps available on Apple, Android, and Alexa, where we will stream 24-7. And now you can also hear them on the podcast on the same apps. Uh, again, my uh, guest today is, of course, James Rogowski. He is uh, uh, in the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement as a director for international health, uh, and he is here today to discuss the news documents on the pandemic treaty, the World Health Organization secret meeting revelations, uh, and also the international health regulations, history proposals and changes that will uh, unfortunately give the WHO authorities to amend timelines for proposed amendments to the international health regulation articles. Uh, James, um, we'll bring you back in the second segment. I do want to concentrate specifically on what we talked about as far as the uh, pathogen access. Uh, it uh, seems as going to be more of a violation of our uh, rights uh, as far as American citizens are concerned and uh, individually, globally, um, even uh, traveling uh, across borders internationally we may be uh, facing uh, those restrictions, unfortunately, when it comes to how Americans view their civil rights and how other nations and their citizens 
view their civil rights under their constitutions. But with that said, we'll take a little break and come back and have a further discussion on what the WHO is doing currently that has really put us in a bind and is possibly affecting our future civil rights. Cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugar, inflammation, and weight. These are all real-world problems that 87% of Americans are struggling with. Often, there are no symptoms, but left unattended, we become inundated with one health problem after another. It's time to fight back with Heal Right. Heal Right is a bar that you eat, but it's food as medicine that addresses the nutritional root cause of health issues in just eight weeks. Developed by world-renowned scientists and backed by 15 years of research, Heal Right is effective, but it's also delicious and works without additional diet or lifestyle changes. Step out of the statistics and use food as medicine. Visit HealRight.com slash OutLoud or AmericaOutloud.shop and use the code OutLoud for 20% off. ASEA believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel and be our very best. Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them. From improving immune health, regulating hormone balance, supporting gut health, to soothing the skin, even reducing the appearance of wrinkles, fine lines, and cellulite, and providing targeted support for mind, mood, energy, and even our body's own production of collagen. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in becoming your best self and fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. Welcome back to the Natural Security Hour on the American Outlaw Talk Radio Network on iHeartRadio. My uh, guest today, of course, is uh, uh, James Rogowski, who's uh, coming to us specifically in reference to what is happening with the WHO uh, in light of the uh, current meetings that are taking place or have taken place just this February and the future on meetings that are going to take place in uh, March, uh, laying out uh, what the pandemic treaty may look like. And most likely it's uh, more of an economic treaty than a pandemic treaty. Uh, but James, I do want to pick up on where we left off, where you were talking about the passage and access that uh, the WHO is trying to establish a system. Uh, if you could go into the details of that a little bit for our audiences and how would it affect individual Americans here? Absolutely. Um, you really need to start from the beginning and understand why these negotiations are even happening. Uh, back in 2021, when the idea that most people had in their head was that this wonderful new technology, the mRNA jabs, and I'm obviously being a little bit facetious, uh, we're going to save the world if we could just get, you know, a couple of needles in everyone's arms around the world. Well, what was supposed to happen was that people who were deemed to be in vulnerable situations, uh, healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, emergency personnel, and so forth, we're supposed to be first in line because, you know, the thought was they might be exposed to something. Uh, other people, maybe uh, the elderly, people with comorbidities, uh, essential workers, if you will, who were coming into contact with the public, they were supposed to get first dibs on the jabs around the world. 
But what happened, I think, is best exemplified by Canada and Israel in the European Union. Canada only has 40 million people, but they got contracts for 400 million jabs. Um, Israel jabbed up their population very quickly and then boosted and boosted and boosted. And the European Union ultimately ended up throwing away quite a number of excess injections. And what that actually caused was you know, a shortage worldwide. And so the nations who didn't have the money to pay top dollar to get large contracts for huge volumes of these jabs were upset. They felt that they were missing out. Now, in retrospect, they should be counting their blessings. But instead, what they did is they um, called for a special session of the World Health Assembly, which met uh, at the end of November, beginning of December 2021. And they called for the WHO to conduct negotiations to settle this trade dispute. Now, the wording that they use is they wanted you know, these negotiations to end up ensuring equitable access to pandemic-related products. And so the reason why these negotiations are happening is the relatively poor nations felt that the richer nations were hogging up all this wonderful stuff, and they didn't want that to happen again in the future. Now, it's not just the jabs. It's, you know, ventilators and midazolam and remdesivir and molnupiravir and Paxlovid and all of the other things that if you actually look at it, those things probably caused more harm than any benefit that they provided. But that's not being discussed here. What really, I think, triggered this and is making a mess of these negotiations, meaning that they're having a great difficulty settling this issue, is if you can recall when South Africa and Botswana uh, did whatever it is they did to identify what they claimed was a totally different variant, uh, the Omicron variant, they made it public um, pretty much immediately. They came clean. They said, this is what we found. And they felt that they were following their international obligations under the current regulations. And the rules currently say that nations are not supposed to punish other nations when there is a outbreak with travel restrictions and things like that. But South Africa did have travel restrictions imposed by other countries. And then they saw Pfizer and Moderna take that genetic information and turn it into the boosters that made a couple of billion dollars. And so they're looking at that saying, well, wait a minute, we gave you this information, which in this agreement, it says that pathogen you know, information is actually a sovereign right to have control over your nation's pathogens. And when they handed over that information, they were expecting that there would be a return. And that's what they're arguing about um, in these negotiations as we speak. Well, that, that's where I'm, I guess a question um, I have to pose here is that um, basically uh, you had uh, pharmaceuticals taking uh, research by others, using it to make money for themselves. Um, why wouldn't something like that end up in the international cr uh, criminal court or international court 
when it comes to settling the fact that you took our information, you use it for your financial betterment, and that you owe us money back on whatever is a percentage for what you did. How come it's not that issue is not being discussed in the international courts rather than trying to resolve that issue through this so-called pandemic treaty? Sargas, I got to give you credit for um, asking a very good question. And so that debate is going on in these negotiations. They're trying to reach an agreement that plays off of something from 1992. Now, I used to work in the natural health industry, and I'm aware that pharmaceutical companies were very prone to getting um, knowledge from indigenous cultures, you know, who understood herbs and food and, and minerals and things like that. And pharmaceutical companies were somewhat notorious for coming in, learning that information, chemically changing the compounds just a little tiny bit from what Mother Nature provided so that they could patent a chemical and then sell it for enormous profit. And so in 1992, there was an agreement called the Convention on Biological Diversity, and they set up what is abbreviated ABS, Access and Benefit Sharing. Well, if you put a P for pathogen in front of that, you see where pathogen access and benefit sharing comes from. And this is what they are debating, you know, quite hotly right now, if that's a word. These discussions are not going well. Um, the pharmaceutical companies, you know, they want to maintain their profit margin. They want to maintain their intellectual property for, you know, the different chemical compounds and the manufacturing uh, know-how to make them. And the smaller nations want a piece of the pie. Now, this is not necessarily good versus evil. I've come to see this as little evil doing battle with big evil because they want a bigger piece of the pie. The pharmaceutical companies that control you know, the vast manufacturing, um, they don't want to let up and give up the control that they have. But there's a lot of upstarts in all of the many nations who would prefer, and they've been working diligently towards it, to build mRNA manufacturing plants and to build laboratory capacity and to build testing facilities and you know gain of function and so forth and so on. And they're being helped by the Defense Department of the United States. I really was made clear on this back in November of 2022. I was watching the Indonesian health minister speak um, you know, via, via video at the B20 meeting of all the business leaders in November of 2022. And he had learned something that wasn't secret, but it was not well known, that the United States was setting up, along with the World Bank, something called the Pandemic Fund. And essentially what they were planning to do was build laboratories and capacity to go looking for pathogens. And he told the business leaders, the U.S. is setting up this multi-billion dollar fund. This is a great business opportunity. Go invest. And that was even before the amendments were ever made public. It was in the middle. They, had, they were in the middle between 
the conceptual zero draft and the zero draft of the treaty. And then soon after, this pathogen access and benefit sharing concept um, showed up in the zero draft very clearly. And it became very, very obvious that this wasn't really about health. This was a trade dispute. This was an argument over who gets to profit by manufacturing things that ultimately um, harm people. And when you read these documents, and I encourage everybody to read them, if you read the first chapter, you might get diabetes because the language is so kumbaya, sweet and wonderful, you know, transparency and equity and sovereignty and human rights and all kinds of other wonderful concepts, which are, are great and you certainly agree with them, but the whole rest of the document is business. It, it's about, you know, how are we gonna set up the infrastructure to go looking for pathogens to scare people with, to have multi-billion dollar funds to you know, feed what is just an enormously profitable industry. And whatever they did to us over the last you know, four or five years, uh, they wanna increase that by an order of magnitude. And well, look, um, I mean, um, that's what pharmaceutical companies do. I, look, aspirin can be found in the natural form. So what they do, they go in, they take the tree, they take that one portion of what they need, and they, uh, you know, create aspirin. Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody takes aspirin. Um, so, uh, you know, we allow them to do that, but, and we call it basically, um, I, I hate to say I'm from Chicago, so I sat had an opportunity to sit and uh, talk to some uh, individuals who used to be in the mob in the past, and even some of them are there uh, currently, uh, who have friends, um, and uh, they'll tell you that, you know, it might be a mob tactic, but the way that the uh, government does it, I mean, it is brutal. It has absolutely no uh, loyalty to anyone, uh, even when in his own ranks. Um, so uh, we allow it to happen. Uh, we um, had the legislators pass the laws that, uh, you know, um, basically say is legal for us to do what we're doing. And unfortunately, I hope that we don't get to a point that we bypass our own laws here in the United States by um, allowing the World Health Organization to kind of bypass what would be required for a Senate to uh, affirm um, and, and the process of looking at it if it is really a treaty. Um, I want to go a little bit deeper into what is an effect that would be on me as a person here, as an individual in the United States, uh, with this pathogen access, what would be some of the effects I could have to deal with uh, if if approved and funded? The, the effects that are gonna be felt by individual people in the United States are probably more likely to be found in the amendments to the international health regulations. But to answer the very specific question that you raised about, you know, what in this treaty would have an impact on people, the issue is they want to be able to find something to scare people with. But the impact of the treaty primarily is they want to get money from the wealthy nations 
to build out the infrastructure in the low or middle income nations. So in a certain, you know, overly simplified view um, in the relatively poor nations over the last four or five years, they did not get as many jabs. Whereas in the developed world, maybe three quarters of the people, you know, at least got one injection. They are far more likely to try to pick a hot spot in a less developed nation, find some pathogen in the jungle or the desert or the savanna or, you know, wherever it may be. Um, they want to put billions of dollars searching, not just, you know, the swabs that maybe people allow to be put up their nose or if you bring, you know, their word, if you bring your companion animal to the veterinarian's office, give them a stool sample or some such thing. If you have any kind of farm animals, chickens, goats, cows, pigs, horses, whatever, you know, all of their excrement, they're going to be inspecting to see if there's some kind of pathogen, um, whether it is wastewater, you know, septic systems or like the black water that comes from an airplane after it's, you know, traveled from overseas. What they are looking to do is find hot spots where they can say there's a pathogen with pandemic potential, swoop in, try to get everyone to believe that there's a crisis, whether or not people are sick and dying or not, create a jab as quickly as possible, get it approved, jab up to people, and make it available to the people around the world who are subject to that kind of fear-mongering and terrorism. And so for the individual person, what it's going to be is taking money and diverting it into those activities in relatively poor nations, which is just simply taking money away from you know treatments for things like heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and so forth. Um, you know, I read an article uh, the other day, um, I forget where I saw it actually, it might have even been coming from you, where um, hospitals in the middle of America were running out of money and closing down. And so why would we be spending money looking for pathogens around the world to scare people with when we have, you know, plenty of problems at home? Well, we're going to do that because uh, there's more money in finding pathogens and keeping the hospital open. I remember I had to um, help a woman in Georgia with her emergency care. I actually was the one who was able to get her on her feet when she had passed out from the heat and uh, uh, had her husband, her son. And unfortunately, we, it took 45 minutes driving around because the first hospital was completely closed. The second hospital, I was able to get her uh, to. Only their emergency room was open. Uh, the rest of the hospital was closed. So it's uh, it's uh, unfortunate, but it's a reality. Welcome to the United States these days. Um, I do want to make sure that our audiences know that uh, all my shows go to podcasts, typically one or two days after the broadcast uh, is heard on talk radio. You can also hear them again on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, and iHeart Podcasts, and many more. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me. Also, be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part, share the stories, the articles, the videos, so that we can help secure America's future. We will be back with uh, James Rogowski and uh, on our final segment 
to see what are some of the steps we can take as individual Americans or United States can take to counter what is taking place currently with the WHO's agenda. When God, through his grace and mercy, gave us free will, the will of the people was to live freely. To that end, we fight for the liberty of all at a time when global tyranny threatens us as never before in mankind's history. This vision is manifest at AmericaOutloud.news, a site for all who cherish free will and freedom. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. You've all heard Dr. McCullough and others share over and over the value of keeping your sinuses cleansed. It's a smart move all year, but even more so when we're cooped up inside. It's not really open for debate any longer. Those that live smart and live well pay attention to nasal and oral hygiene. Cofix RX has just the tools for the job with our nasal and throat cleanse. Click the Cofix RX banner on AmericaOutloud.shop to get 20% off your entire order. That's right, AmericaOutloud.shop. Use coupon code OUTLOUD. That's coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off your entire order. Use Cofix RX because it works. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's Chief Medical Board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Welcome back to the National Security Hour on the American Outlaw or America Outlaw Talk Radio Network on iHeartRadio. Again, uh, my uh, discussion uh, continues uh, with James Rogowski. Um we're looking at uh, what has uh, transpired in the 154th session of the uh, executive board of the World Health Organization meetings that took place uh, just last month uh, from January 22nd to January 27th of 2024. And also the most current uh, World uh, Government Summit, which took place from 12 to 14 February in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. Um, again, as I said, uh, you know, in the past, I was able to welcome James as a uh, author and a researcher, but uh, I can uh, from now on introduce him as the uh, 
Neary Center for Strategic Engagement, Director for International Health. Um, James, uh, so we have what we have in front of us. It seems like uh, um, even though the treaty still hasn't been approved, uh, the language to the treaty may not have even been finalized. But yet uh, we have money that is being fun uh, funneled through the Department of Defense to start uh, creating institutions that uh, still have not been even uh, approved yet. Um, is that safe to say that I'm somewhere close to the chaos that has taken place uh, globally? Uh, and of course, when it comes to our politicians, we know that uh, they like to toss money against uh, everything out there. Are they trying to basically... Uh, uh, build a cart uh, before they can even find a horse that could pull it? Well, you know, you're, you're pretty much on target. And what this looks suspiciously like is um, the proliferation of biological weapons. If you just take a step back and try to look at this with a very simplistic view, if you ask the regular you know, man or woman on the street what would be the best way to you know, prevent the next pandemic? You probably wouldn't hear them say, well, we should build a Wuhan Institute of Virology in every nation around the world or, or several of them and go out into the world, you know, into the local bat cave or you know, pangolin enclosure or kangaroo or you know, beaver dam or whatever. And, and try to find deadly pathogens that we can bring into the lab and allow them to be cultured and manipulated, gain a function, um, just so that we can make drugs and jabs to treat the problems that weren't really bothering anybody. Now, I don't think too many people would say that that is a good way to stop you know, the next pandemic. It sounds like a good way to ensure profitability from the next pandemic. And I, I'm quite certain that the average man or woman around the world, if they recognize that what's not being discussed is they're not discussing, well, wait a minute, how come over the last you know four or five years, they told everyone, well, there's nothing you can do. You have to wait for the jabs. Um, if people can't see through that marketing and, and that that's what that was, don't do anything to make yourself healthy. Wait for an injection of a whole bunch of unknown substances, because I would challenge anybody to list the ingredients um, that are in the jabs that billions of people took. And there's another question that I always like to ask people. Um, do you even know the name of the person who jabbed you the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time? A lot of people went to centers where a stranger stuck a needle in their arm. You might as well go down to downtown Los Angeles, which I live about 20, 30 minutes away from, and go down to Skid Row in the middle of the night and ask some stranger to stick a needle in your arm. You'd probably be safer. And, and so people don't realize that legally the person who is supposed to have the obligation to report any adverse events from any jab is the person who's stuck in the needle. Well, if you don't even know how to get a hold of that person or know what their name or phone number or email address is, 
Is it any wonder why people say that the VAERS reports only get one out of 100? The, the people who are supposed to be following up with you, you don't even know their name. Now, maybe you went to your doctor and you do, but there are millions, if not billions of people who have no idea how to contact the person who stuck a needle in their arm. Now, going forward into the future, my advice to everybody is to do pretty much what I've been doing for the last two years. These folks at the WHO follow a, a certain guideline where they feel that if they tell you what they intend to do and you don't reject it or push back or speak up or say anything in opposition to it, then they view your silence as consent. So all I've been doing for two years is reading their documents, identifying the things that they say they want to do, shining a light on it, you know, talking to people such as yourself to get other people to, to pay attention to it. So my encouragement to everybody is actually really simple, is to do the same thing that we the people did about a decade ago. Now, people may or may not be aware of something called the Trans-Pacific Partnership. If you could envision the Pacific Ocean and all of the nations around the Pacific Rim, they were trying to put together, and they ultimately did put together, the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Agreement. Well, the Obama administration signed us into that before anybody knew what was going on. Um, Hillary Clinton was very much involved in supporting that. And when people found out what was going on, we the people made such a ruckus that any politician who was running for office knew that if they even remotely dared to voice some kind of support for the TPP, that they were going to get a firestorm from the public. So there was no chance that it was ever going to be adopted by this, or I should say confirmed by the Senate. And ultimately, when Trump came into office, he put the last nail in the coffin. He unsigned it. And that was the end of that. Now, the other nations around the Pacific, you know, they're still part of it. And it gave an enormous amount of power to corporations. And, and so I have every confidence that we can do again what we did then. Step number one is to get a clear understanding of what these documents actually are. Read the darn documents. The last version was only 30 pages. The first chapter is a bunch of sugary sweet propaganda. The last chapter explains how they want to build this enormous bureaucracy. There's only three chapters. So the third chapter talks about the conference of the parties and how it would meet on a yearly basis and they could make amendments or new protocols or annexes. And, and essentially, it's an open-ended agreement that year after year after year after year, they would be giving out contracts and you know devising new details, very much like the Framework Convention for Climate Change. So, you know, if you think the Framework Convention for Climate Change and their yearly meetings and all of the insane things that are happening because of that, if you think that's a great idea, then, hey, speak up in support of the Framework Convention for Pandemic Prevention, Preparedness and Response. But personally, I think 
signing an open-ended contract to let a bunch of unelected bureaucrats meet every year to decide our fate worldwide is not an intelligent thing to do. And so read the document, find a piece of it that you can wrap your head around, whether it's a sentence or a paragraph or a whole article, print it out, take a picture of it, put a graphic up on the internet, make a video, make a TikTok video, a Telegram video, Twitter, Instagram, wherever, and express your feelings, emotions, thoughts, ideas, and opinion about the facts that they are trying to push through. They keep wanting to say that we're spreading misinformation. Well, I've come to understand that that's just shorthand for exposing the missing information. So dig in to this document. It's, it's not incomprehensible. I have faith that people can understand it. If you have any questions, you're more than welcome to give me a phone call. My number is 310-619-3055. If you go to stopthetreaty.org, my number is on every article I've ever written. If you have any questions, be happy to try to sort out the facts for you. But please distinguish between hearsay, where, you know, oh, you heard somebody say something. You watched a video and somebody was talking about this. If you hear something interesting about this, go read the document, get the source, get it from the source, and give your opinion because your silence will be viewed as consent. And I don't know anybody, I haven't met anybody yet, um, other than those who might be in the line to get a contract from something like this. Um, nobody wants this. The answer is very, very simple. The answer is no. And we stopped the Trans-Pacific Partnership a decade or so ago, and I have every faith that we're going to stop this as well. Oh, look, uh, the old formula of a franchise, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Franchise uh, system almost failed. It passed by one vote uh, in Congress, and then uh, thanks to James Crock. And uh, um, now you could take that, apply it to a burger joint, a pizza joint, uh, a, a gas station, and it could be successful. And they basically take that model that's worked, whether it be for the TTP, uh, apply to uh, environment and then apply it now to pandemics. Mm -hmm. So uh, the formula just doesn't change. If it makes some money, it makes some money. Mm -hmm. I do want to ask uh, um, at the uh, t uh, end of our segment here, um, uh, this Saturday is going to be the two-year anniversary of the Ukraine-Russia war. Um, what has come out of uh, what was taking place in Ukraine when it comes to the uh, various different biological uh, um, uh, locations that were being used uh, uh, for gain of function, um, how did the Ukraine war possibly uh, be more of a uh, fight that was not just a military fight on the ground for control of territories with uh, um, Putin invading another sovereign nation, uh, but uh, the, when it comes to the economics of it, um, is there anything there that you've been able to kind of look at and gleam at? And uh, uh, what happens to future of uh, various different regional fights? And uh, 
what is the intent of either the Department of Defense or the uh, WHO to be able to deal um, with those areas where it may have already established future labs, especially in most of these undeveloped countries. Uh, what are some of the takeaways from that war and what are you looking at possibly in the future that could be a pattern of what we need to be careful of? Well, you know, one of the very first articles that I ever published on my Substack, if people go to the archive and go back a couple of years, was, you know, about the fact that there were, I think, three dozen biological labs that were funded by the Defense Department of the United States in the Ukraine. And, and so I've put together something called the People's Declaration. So if you go to thepeoplesdeclaration.com, it's a really very simple question. Do you think we should be funding gain-of-function research to make pathogens more dangerous? In, in military parlance and in biological weapons, they refer to it as dual-use research of concern. Uh, do you think that we should be spending money making pathogens more deadly and going out looking for more of them? Or do you think we should have you know, an international agreement to stop the proliferation of biological weapons and you know, spend that money instead on doing the things that are known to prevent the ailments that kill far more people, heart disease, strokes, cancer, diabetes, leukemia, malaria, tuberculosis, and so forth. A surprisingly small number of people actually die from contagion. Um, I actually um, got a report um, from uh, David Bell, who just recently published a report about how uh, epidemics and pandemics are not increasing. Um, they've actually been relatively minor, but the fear-mongering and the terrorizing of the population has exploded exponentially. They're fear-mongering to get everyone afraid so that they can redirect wealth um, into the companies that make products that, you know, the Hegelian dialectic is somebody creates a problem, and then on the other hand, they show up with the solution, and now they've figured out how to redirect, you know, debt money. Oh, just push a key and throw trillions of dollars at an industry that's based on, on lies and, you know, chemicals that cause harm. And, and so... I'm very optimistic that the average person recognizes corruption when they see it coming. And you know what we need to do is say, no, we don't want to have an organized crime syndicate baked into an international agreement. That's you know a little bit too far. Um, the answer is no. Oh, the answer is definitely no. And uh... Uh, I'm glad we had an opportunity to have this discussion, and uh, let's see what ends up happening. Hopefully, uh, the uh, uh, people that are elected as representatives to represent us in Congress uh, will address this issue and the shortfalls with the uh, pandemic treaty, and uh, let's see what happens. Uh, hopefully, come uh, um, end of uh, end of May. Um, I do want to remind our audiences out there that you can find out more about my show and get uh, all the uh, latest podcasts if you go to the menu navigation bar at americaoutlaw.com under our show or schedule. You will be in the know.
that's a definite. Uh, again, uh, my guest today has been uh, James Argoski, uh, Neary Center for Strategic Engagement, Director of International Halt. And um, uh, James, uh, I do want to thank you and I do want to thank the audience for joining us on the mission. The National Security Hour is a tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America with liberty and justice for all. James, um, a real quick again uh, for your Substack and also the number that they could reach out and ask you any questions that they may have. Well, you know, the hard part is spelling my name, uh, James Roguski, J-A-M-E-S-R-O-G-U-S-K-I dot Substack.com. And feel free to give me a call, 310-619-3055. Look forward to talking to you. Look forward to talking to you again. Again, uh, I want to thank the audience for joining us on the National Security Hour, the America Out Loud radio network on iHeartRadio, where you'll hear the multi-intel experts, voices of freedom, and the out loud truth. God bless you all. This is Lieutenant Colonel Sargis and Gary, your host, and we will see you again. Mm -hmm.